When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Five receivers. Prescott to the outside and it's broken up. Hendricks breaks it up with 40 seconds, so they're going to turn it over on downs and then try to hold Minnesota as quickly as they can and take their timeouts and hope to get the ball back for one last gasp. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here with you as always. And uh, we have some snubbery to discuss. We sure do. Some snubacular events. You predicted it yesterday, by the way. A snubalicious day yesterday. So, uh, you know, it's just online, on Twitter, just waiting for the uh, Pro Bowl announcements to be made. And I'm scrolling through, scrolling through, and I see, uh, I get the email from the Vikings that says three players have made the Pro Bowl. thought, only three, huh? This is a pretty good football team. I thought, well, okay, maybe there were uh, more running backs that were great this year than I thought. Or maybe Harrison Smith didn't get the attention this year that he deserved. Um, but instead, Eric Hendricks gets left off, and Kirk Cousins gets left off, and uh, Sage Rosenfels a crime has been committed. I don't care that much about the Pro Bowl, but this is a crime for both Eric Kendricks and Kirk Cousins to not be in the Pro Bowl. I, I mean, I look at Kendricks, I think he's a all-pro player, you know, which is sort of the first team of all the Pro Bowlers. It's the it's the uh, of an, in combining both uh, the NFC and the AFC. I, I mean, I thought he had an absolutely fantastic year. He was so consistent. He was so good. He came through time and time again. He has a really, really tough responsibility in the fact that he's a sort of a run stopper as a middle linebacker, and he seems like he's covering people, either it's running backs or tight ends, all the time, and it was just fantastic consistently throughout the year. And obviously Cousins, you know, statistically, he's right up there with the top three, four quarterbacks in the NFL. And so that's surprising also that he didn't make uh, the Pro Bowl. Stephon Diggs, it, did he not make it as well? He did not make it. and uh, That's, that's I, surprising, too. I mean, yep. there's a lot of really good receivers out there. I mean, the, 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 the receiver group is extremely impressive, but still, 
you know, he's got to go against Julio Jones and Michael Thomas and Mike Evans and and uh, and Chris Godwin. But uh, you know, I I'd put him in front of Chris Godwin. You know, two Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receivers. I mean, they probably had great stats, but they're you know they're a bad football team and they're always losing. So they probably throw the ball a ton. Doesn't mean the the receivers should be making the Pro Bowl. So I think that's another snub. Those three guys, just off the top of my head, uh, come to mind as three snubs for the Pro Bowl. Yeah, uh, and I mean, even the the year that Anthony Harris has had, he's second in the NFL in interceptions. And when the entire Baltimore Ravens roster makes it, and a team like the Vikings, with as much talent here and a much guy as many guys having good seasons, ends up with three. It is just really surprising, but not super shocking. Now, I will give you an example. By the way, my, when I was in Miami in 2002, we had eight Pro Bowlers, and we were 9-7. and seven. <laughs> right, We had seven on defense, and we had Ricky Williams on offense. So I, I guess the rest of the guys were uh, struggling at times. Um, well, just usually when teams have uh, such a good season, I mean... This has been a very, very good season for Minnesota. Ten and four is not easy to do in the NFL, and to have only three guys make the Pro Bowl to me is a bit shocking. But and also, you know, Viking. I don't know how all the voting goes, but I know you know Vikings fans and stuff. uh, You know, they're they're huge. Do they still have fans vote for the Pro Bowl? I'm not even sure how it gets picked. So it's Uh, a mix now between fans and players. Gotcha. you well, know, I imagine Vikings fans came through. I mean, they've been coming through all year. They've been showing up to away yeah. game stadiums yep. and and um, and you know making noise uh, down in Kansas City and obviously out in in LA last week. So I don't know. I just don't know how the NFL missed uh, some of these other really really good players. As I said for me in particular, Eric Kendricks. That is a that is a shame. And he's the guy that may not be able to make it. You know, year after year after yep. year, like a Harrison Smith. Uh, and that's what really stinks is those guys that have such great seasons. Then they get snubbed, and you know they they may only have another couple opportunities in, in their career just based off of their position and and their age and all those types of things. And and he definitely should have made it this year. Now in 2017, Harrison Smith missed the initial cut and eventually did make it with guys dropping out. And you know, clearly, but he was all pro, right? But he, he was, was all, all pro, pro right? which I think there's the a case Bowl. for Eric Hendricks to have the same thing happen, where he ends up missing the initial cut of the Pro Bowl, eventually making the Pro Bowl. Uh, assuming the Vikings aren't in the Super Bowl, and I'm then re- you, you know, I, I, and then being All Pro, I, I think that's very reasonable for that to happen to Eric Hendricks. It, very, very possible. And you and would much rather be All Pro. Oh, much rather be. I'm sorry, I believe All Pro is combining both the NFC and the AFC as sort of like the All Star team of the whole league. Yes, correct. Which would be, literally make him like the best middle linebacker in the NFL. So sometimes when guys get snubbed for the Pro Bowl, I almost think that they have a you know they they get the the votes more for the uh, for for being an all pro. So, how many Pro Bowls do you think Daniel Hunter will have over the course of his career? Of course, <laughs> oh, this is one of those question. things we'd have to go back. You know, twelve years from now, go back to this. You know, this question on whatever today's date is in December of two thousand and nineteen. We can save the audio. Yeah, we'll save we'll save this audio. But uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I would think it's going to be uh, five, six Pro Bowls, maybe even more. Over the course of his career, yeah, I mean, he's our. This is his second. He was in the Pro Bowl last year, and there's no sign of slowing down whatsoever. He's got incredible durability, which isn't something we really talk about a lot. But every year of his career, 
aside from his rookie year when he clearly was not the player he is now, he's played 16 games since he's been a starter for the last three seasons and is trending that way this year to play 16 games again. So if he continues to stay this healthy, and you think how young he is, 25 years old, and he's been in the league years old. since 2015. I and mean, not only that is, so from an offense perspective, as I walked the line of scrimmage, you know, Daniel Hunter would be generally to my right. Mm-hmm. He's the pro, he was the defensive end that's usually on the side of the tight end. Usually the lesser of the two defensive ends plays that position, and usually statistically – that position, uh, Daniel Hunter's position, has fewer sacks than the other side. Yep. Uh, and so the fact that he is putting the numbers he puts up in both, and he's very good against the run, too. I mean, not only can he hold the point, as they like to say, which basically means hold his ground. All the times it's double teams between the tackle and tight end, uh, but also the way he runs things down from uh, from the backside or whatever. I mean, he's good against the run, and he's so so good rushing the passer that, uh, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, let's just say that they let Everson and Griffin move on at some point as his age uh, becomes more and more a factor in his career. If they, if I, I wonder what Daniel Hunter's numbers would be if he played on the other side, uh, which is mostly just you know you one on one with the tackle. Uh, I think he'd probably put up a you know three four more sacks every year if he played the other defensive defensive end position as well. It is wild, and Mike Zimmer alluded to this himself by saying this isn't even the finished product yet. And you and I have talked about this before with defensive ends. Is a lot of times they just keep getting better and better and better and they don't always have to retire at age 31 or something like that a lot of times they can go much longer than that and I look at Daniil Hunter as a guy who could be like a Cameron Wake a guy who could be like a Julius Peppers that has that tall lanky frame I see um, Jason Taylor but he's Jason Taylor but, yeah but better against the run I mean I see I mean Jason Taylor's in the Hall of Fame uh, so I you know, you see, look at his body type, the the length that he has, uh, and just you know his sort of just physical makeup and the way he can move and the way he can run. That he reminds me of Jason Taylor, except for Jason wasn't as big, in particular in the upper body uh, that uh, Daniel Hunter is. So I mean, that that to me, that's for me, that's my comparison. I, I might go, I might go eight. I think he's going to make eight Pro Bowls. Eight Pro Bowls, yeah. I just don't see any reason why he would slow down, and I don't think it's any sort of flash in the pan. And there is more to do technique-wise. As these guys grow, you often see them add to their toolbox of pass rush moves. And you're right, eventually it would make sense for him to move over to that left side and get those one-on-one opportunities and continue to be a double-digit sack guy for a really, really long time. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's crazy at all to say he could just continue to make the Pro Bowl time and time again. Uh, Sage, we got to talk about Kirk Cousins' case here. I mean, Aaron Rodgers goes in. That, to me, is name recognition. Because Rodgers, under whatever statistical measure you look at it, or, or the eye test if you want, he has not been as good as Kirk Cousins this year. Now, if you're giving a Lifetime Achievement Award, of course Aaron Rodgers has had a better career, and peak Aaron Rodgers is better than peak Kirk Cousins. But whatever metric you want to go off, if you want to go the PFF grade route, Kirk Cousins is fourth in the NFL. The only quarterbacks rated higher than him are Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, and Lamar Jackson. And and right behind him is Deshaun Watson. So he is in really, really great company. He's got 111 quarterback rating to Rodgers 100. Uh, They both have won a lot of games, so it's not like one guy has won a lot more than the other. Kirk is averaging a whole yard per attempt more than Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is. I mean... Like it's it's hard to get too angry about Pro Bowls because whatever it is fan voting. I never watched like the game, by the way, and and it's the, it's the worst I event refuse. in sports on the field. 
But yeah. for these people, you want justice to be served, right? You want the right guys to get recognized and to have Aaron Rodgers, who's having a pretty mediocre year, compared to Cousins, who's having his career year. It just is the wrong decision. Well, I think you know football is the ultimate team sport, and this is one of those few sort of individual you know, trophies that they, they do hand out. And so that the players that when they earn it, that, uh, and then, and, and, you know, Kirk Cousins is not going to have seven Pro Bowls in his career, right? But Aaron Rodgers has who knows how many. So I, there definitely is that thing. They used to say a lot of times, and this is probably with Kendricks also, um, but a lot of times they'll say, you have to make a Pro Bowl. Uh, you sort of have to get screwed one time to make it then the second right, time. Right, they'll give it to like him the that. next year, yeah. Yeah, so you know, maybe Kirk has if Kirk comes back and has another year similar to this year, next year, and again Aaron Rodgers has a similar year as this year, next year, I'd like to think that Kirk Cousins would get him next year because he sort of proved it uh, this year with his play. Yeah, that's probably right. And it's uh, it's sort of frustrating for, I'm sure, him and the team because they want to push out. We got all these Pro Bowls and things like that, and I just want the right guys to have it. And I love, Sage, you know this, I, I love lists and, and things like that. I love to have uh, you know the, the NFL 100, have debates about this guy should be in, that guy should be in. And, of course, we always think everyone's got it wrong all the time. Um, but in this case, it's just super easy to present the numbers as a clear uh, an obvious argument that Cousins has been better. And I don't know if he's going to be this good next year. You know, things can change. People get hurt. People leave. Kevin Stefanski's going to be head coach of somebody else. You know, you don't know how that's going to go. So for him to have Rodgers make it instead is just, I don't know, you just kind of throw up your hands. Well, that and, you know, C.J. Ham didn't make the Pro I know. Bowl. They did not you know? feature the Vikings fullback. They gave, they gave it to, uh, I don't know. Kyle Juszczyk, like, which I understand. check yes, yes. I mean, he ran the option the last offense. week. I mean, that's sort of, uh, or was it two weeks ago or something, they, they actually handed him the ball and they ran the option. Uh, for, you know, for a touchdown. So you know, he's multifaceted. But uh, that, that would have been nice to him for him to get some recognition. It's I, I always like it when guys who haven't even been in the conversation in the past uh, are, are at least in the conversation. You know, to me, that's that's a recognition when the fans are talking about it, when we're talking about it. You know, we watch all these games, and uh, you, know, you you can't control everything. And there is that name recognition thing, but uh, uh, sometimes you got to start with at least people like us talking about it and hope it's that maybe next year uh, if they have a similar performance or better that they will get in. Yeah, I thought um, just based on even the traditional statistics because sometimes you have to dive deeper in and Kendricks is one of those guys. I mean, Tackle numbers don't really tell you who's great. You could be making those tackles behind the line of scrimmage or 10 yards down the field and a lot of times the worst teams in the league will have a lot of you know, a linebacker with a lot of tackles because he's on defense a lot and they're blowing through the front line and he's running into people and falling over. Um, so that it's harder to statistically look at a linebacker and talk about what kind of season he's having when it's an inside linebacker. But a quarterback, it should have been pretty easy to look and say, all right, well, he's had one of the three best seasons of any NFC quarterback. And he's in, but he's not, and that's how it goes. Um, now we're only through fifteen weeks. We got two weeks left. But as of right now, who would you have as your top three coach of the year candidates? Ooh, that's a really good question, Sage. Uh, you know, I the right off the bat, I would think of Mike Tomlin if they get in the playoffs somehow, Pittsburgh. Yeah, then he absolutely that loss last week was 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 a tough loss for them. But I mean, what he has done without. 
Roethlisberger's quarterback, Le'Veon Bell, who's gone, and Antonio uh, Brown, who's gone. I mean, literally his top three players in offense from a year ago. The fact that they're even in the hunt is incredible. And I think from that same game, um, Kevin McDermott, no, not Kevin McDermott, Sean McDermott. Kevin Sean McDermott. McDermott's a long snapper. Uh, Sean McDermott has had an amazing year. His quarterback isn't really any good. And yeah. they're just dragging every ounce of whatever they can get out of uh, Josh Allen. And the rest of the team is super well coached, Sage. I, I think uh, that their defense is really good. They don't have super serious weapons, but they get a lot of different people the, the ball, and they've got a good offensive design and seem to just really battle and play hard. That's what you look for, uh, all those elements from a coach. And then I would probably say uh, Kyle Shanahan would be yeah. my next pick. You know, it's interesting that you know Matt LaFleur gets no love. I mean, they're 11-3, and and this is a year after uh, you know his first year as a head coach. And, of course, Rodgers' numbers aren't that much better, but their defense is playing really good, and the fact the running game is so much better than it was a year ago. Of course, you know, they're 11-3. and You like to think that his name can be in the conversation. I think Zimmer's done a really nice job this year, not perfect. Uh, Sean Payton, people haven't talked about him all that much. Right. because Missing his quarterback it, for five games, they go five yeah, and you, you know, whether, whether you say, you know, well, Teddy Bridgewater's not really a backup quarterback. Hey, he was the smart guy who went out and got Teddy Bridgewater and Correct. was willing to overpay, basically way overpay, yep. five times overpaying what a lot of other coaches pay for their backup quarterback but that decision has kept them in the hunt i mean what if they had assigned a guy uh and they want, went one and four during those five starts instead you know teddy has kept him in his race and they're 11 and three i mean that that's a, a good decision to sign teddy and obviously get Teddy to to win those football games with your backup that's that's big time uh for a head coach again they're 11 and three you know pete carroll i don't know if anyone expected uh the seattle seahawks to be 11 and three uh as well and currently the number one seed in the nfc See, I, I mean, he's done a really fantastic job. They they didn't really have wide receivers, uh, you know, other than Tyler Lockett going into the season, uh, and you know that they've gotten, you know, or they've had Josh Gordon. That's going to be a big loss uh, for them. Who is now? I don't know. Is he on IR or uh, some sort of list? He's suspended or whatever. Suspended or something? Yeah, yeah that's right. Suspended so, indefinitely list. So that so that really hurts. But uh, you know, I don't think anyone's with, with that performance last year in the playoffs, in which they it's almost like they tried not to throw the ball to to win that game. Um, you know that's surprising, but and, and then obviously um, Harbaugh. Yeah, yeah, Harbaugh. He should and, probably and be the pick. Harbaugh probably the pick because he's he's doing he's winning in a way that people haven't seen in this league uh, in a while, and that's with a quarterback uh, who can really run the football, and they just have this sort of old school style uh, and the way that quarterback has developed from an embarrassing loss in the playoffs last year to now one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and probably will win the MVP. You got to think Harbaugh has a chance in Baltimore as well. And, and if I were trying to define it, because a lot of times we end up, and maybe I fell into this trap with bringing up Mike Tomlin, it's who wasn't as crappy as we thought they were going to be. <laughs> it's yes. sometimes how that ends up going. Or who made us look the dumbest from our early season picks. And I had been into Baltimore, you know, going all the way back to when we made our initial picks in the, you know, at the state fair or something, right? I just yeah. loved John Harbaugh loved Lamar Jackson, so this didn't shock me a ton. But I don't think I expected this level of success. I mean, dominant, yeah, dominating right. games right now. Uh, if about a month ago people were throwing out uh, the Miami Dolphins 
uh, head coach as, as a candidate because I mean, I they literally that. sold I, off I, all I their pieces happened. and they were like three and eight or something at the time. So they're sort of like, I the hate fact that, that conversation. Have, you can't do that. You can't wins. ever give it to a guy who's three and whatever, or even if they go six and 10, seven and nine. Because that, everyone thought they'd be over. Everyone thought they'd be like the worst team in the NFL, hands down. Way too many times we ignored the best team. True. And, and well, we ignore the best and, job. And Belichick done. never gets any credit. And of course, they're eleven and three. And yeah, but they cheat. Not, yeah, not, they are. They are cheating. You know, but you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's so, a that's a Belichick. Somebody did ask me, by the way, and since we're just sort of, um, you know, not on anything specific here, I, I want to ask you about this because I got an email about it. Uh, filming the signals, like, what would that do? If you knew all the other teams' signals, well, like, how does so that help offensively, you? it's all through the the quarterback's helmet. Um, so really it's more about personnel groups because, mm-hmm. uh, both offense, I guess you go both offense and defense. They, usually it's the middle linebacker. It's sent in over a microphone, um, uh, in, in your helmet. And so it's really about, I, I would think some sort of signals, uh, that, that would be personnel groups more often than not and trying to get their personnel group signals because it, it just gives the coordinator, um, an extra couple seconds, uh, to know, you know, what we're going to be dealing with. So, if, you know, if I'm up there right. as okay. the, yeah, I'm up there as the offensive coordinator uh, on one team. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sorry. If I'm, I'm up there as a defensive coordinator on one team, and I see, let's say, it's a tight ends coach or running backs coach on the other side, who is the signaler of personnel groups mm-hmm. that goes into the game from you know two tight ends and and two running backs to all of a sudden full wide receivers, they have some sort of signal for that. Uh, that and that would give them an advantage of before the players start running on and running off and you're trying to count out who's in, who's out, where are we at here? Right. And then they get in the huddle and you're like, okay, oh, they got four receivers in. That's That could be three, four, or five seconds. You'd have an advantage of you know what call do I want to make as soon as I see that signal that they might put up on the sideline. That That's probably one of the main things, I think, if not the main thing as to why in this day and age, why would you? Why you would uh, film someone else's sideline? Now in college football, of course, that's all still right. They got uh, pictures sent- of SpongeBob over there and everything. Yeah, and what Iowa State does is, you know, the, so Iowa State for our home games, the uh, the press box is on the same side as the home team, uh, and so the opposing teams obviously are right above basically our you know our team and our coaching staff, and so they have these big black sort of like signs that put up i think they have a car dealership on them to try to (laughs) try to hide from both tv and from the opposing coaching staff uh the different signals that are being sent in from Hmm. the sidelines i mean they go to great lengths to try to hide those signals and to protect them from uh as, as many eyes as possible yeah okay that that makes sense it makes sense that it would be an advantage to know right away what personnel they're sending in there so you're not scrambling and you're not scrambling to get your calls in there either. I remember this was a problem with, I think it was Rex Ryan, when uh, his defense couldn't get the signals in fast enough or their calls were too convoluted for the defense to understand and teams were running up tempo on them. And and, and if you can't get those signals in uh, or you can't get your right personnel in there, then you're going to be behind the ball. Uh, yeah, right away. So it, and you can take advantage like the Vikings do with their personnel all the time by throwing in. I did a thing on their opening script today for our website about how they used five different personnel groupings on eleven plays. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's again it's the advantage of not just um, knowing exactly what personnel group I'm going against, but like you know what call should I make for that because these coaches and on those sheets that they have. 
they have different sections for different down and distances, but obviously different personnel groups. And, you know, blitzes versus four receivers are obviously very different than the the blitz names and, and things like that for, you know, I said like the two tight end goal line packages. So everything has their different names, different calls, and everything sort of goes into those. It's all really based off of those personnel groups. All right. Um, let me ask you one more question real quick before we hit the break, and then we got hot routes to do. Uh, it looks like Delvin Cook is probably not going to play. That's what people have reported. And uh, Alexander Mattis, I'm not sure of his status yet. Um, do we kind of like the fact that we get to see Mike Boone here a little bit, Sage? I, I, if it happens, and Mike Boone plays a lot over the next two weeks, you and I have appreciated his talent since training camp. And uh, I was on a Green Bay station today, and they were asking me, like, who's Mike Boone? What's with this guy who's going to play against the Packers? And I couldn't help but think, I'm a little bit excited. We don't get too many times toward the end of a season where we get to see somebody that we don't know that much about and how they're going to react to a spotlight. And I kind of want to know what they have a little bit in the future here, and especially as it might pertain to potential holdouts and things like that. Well, if if NFL players were stocks, I feel like you and I bought Mike Boone fairly early when he was a penny stock or whatever. (laughs) Uh, And it's been slowly, you know, it's all right. He made the the roster and, you know, he's on some special teams. He does a really nice job in his various jobs on on special teams. And then he's got a couple carries here or there. Then was it last week? I was probably first significant time. Uh, of the season looked pretty good i mean he runs hard uh he's got some quickness to him obviously he's very very fresh as the rest of the league as guys been beat been beat up for the last uh, 14 15 weeks and um you know i don't know if he's a guy that can be he doesn't seem like to be nearly as big i don't know what his numbers are but as big as uh you know madison or or even cook uh but i can see him as a guy that gets 10 to 15 carries a game and does a really really nice job he's explosive and i think he's uh you know tough to take down he's got good balance and and runs extremely hard and and uh yeah i i love the the vikings running back room i think they've done a nice job and abdullah uh he is better than i thought he would be uh yeah i wasn't i mean he's pretty explosive i know he's fast guy but um didn't obviously do much in detroit maybe had a lot to do with uh you know the offense around him in detroit uh, or whatever, but he has been a nice uh, uh, player. This this running back room from the get go. I think early in the season we said, you know, the Vikings go into the season. I like all four running backs. However, you know that sort of worked out within you know who's the third guy, who's the fourth guy, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Really like this running back room, and and uh, all, all four players will play extremely well. I'd like to see Mike Boone for fifteen or more carries, or even twenty carries. He's a guy they might have to rely on a little bit more because he is so fresh. Yeah, and I, I think in today's NFL, you do have to have multiple running backs, and maybe. It's- it's not just today. Maybe it's always been that way. But having multiple running backs is a really good weapon to have. And uh, the Vikings are showing that here as Delvin Cook is appearing like he might sit the next two weeks. All right, let's take a break. Sage, your first ever go at Hot Routes. I have sent you the questions. Very about You've this. had time to prepare. You've had time to write out your game plan and, and study the film and everything. So you are ready to go for Hot Routes. We will do that next. Also, an exciting show coming up. Brandon Thorne's going to come on, talk a little offensive-defensive line for the Vikings and Packers. Then we have uh, Cam Meller for PFF, talk about bull season, and a mystery guest at 3.30. 
who I'm very, very excited about. So let's take a break. We'll come right back with Hot Routes here on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. The Score North podcast network consists of more than a dozen shows from Purple Daily and Raised by Wolves to The Scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained. You can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts over at scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app or just search Score North, S-K-O-R North, anywhere you find your podcast. Speaking of scorenorth.com, Matthew Collar makes the case for four Vikings who were snubbed from the Pro Bowl after three Vi- only three Vikings were picked, Dalvin Cook, Daniel Hunter, and Harrison Smith. He makes the case for four of them over at scorenorth.com. Go read that article over there. Also, do your holiday shopping online and save up to 70% with the Score North Holiday Online auction, golf packages, electric bikes, countertops, sea life passes, and more to view and bid on items. Visit scorenorth.com and enter keyword auction. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Street! Drag, drag, drag! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Jordan Flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Rods on Purple Daily. 580! 390! All right. That is the first time that Sage Rosenfels has ever heard that intro, and now we'll just kick the NFL music into high gear and Sage Hot question, Routes. Question, do the fans know Hot Routes uh, ends in a Z? Uh, yes, they do, because oh, they do. Okay. Courtney Cronin demanded, not just suggested, but demanded that it end in a Z. So, that okay. it does. Just, yep. just wonder, Hot Routes. <laughs> I wasn't about to fight it. I think that's right, great. It's part of our Let's do it. Brand. Let's play the game. Let's, let, right, let's, let's let it roll. So here's how it works is uh, I have just looked through the headlines and made questions for us uh, about the headlines, and then we answer them. It's really that simple. Hot routes. Okay, let's start it off. Our first hot route. And if you want, Sage, you can call out an actual hot route before your answer because you would know them. Wait, what's, um, wait, wait. Wait, wait. Like, yeah, a, okay. like at the line of scrimmage, if you want to just call out like Blue 42 or something like that, you go ahead. You do what you want to do. All right, uh, let's do this. This is hot routes. There are no rules. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. All right, Dan Bailey. That's exactly that's kind of the what point. it's supposed to be. You've already oh, got gotcha. it. All right. It's like the last 10 seconds of a game and you're on your own 10-yard line and you need a touchdown to win, so you just end up being the, the chaos play. You just go figure it out. Yep, All that's right. how you have to answer these questions. All right, Dan Bailey won Special Teams Player of the Week. Dan Bailey has been the guy we've just all been like, oh, yeah, I guess he makes all the kicks. When the last two years, nobody could make any kicks. Um, or at least last year, no one could make any kicks. Uh, so he wants special teams player of the week, and I believe that is his third time this year. He's also the fifth best kicker of all time by field goal percentage. So a reliable kicker for the Vikings. Imagine. Uh, Sage, if you had to bet $1 million on a 45-yard field goal, which kicker of any era would you have kick your 45-yard field goal? Adam Vinatieri in his prime. Not Adam Vinatieri this year, but in the past. <laughs> I think he has been, it seems like, just the most clutch when the biggest game of the year in the worst conditions is on the line. 
whether it's that snow game in New England against yep. the Raiders or a couple of those Super Bowls, uh, he has probably the most clutch kicks in NFL history. After that, I'd say Justin Tucker, yeah. the Baltimore Ravens kicker. He is absolutely fantastic. Justin Tucker, number one all time at 90.6% of his field goals. That's, but we're talking that's the about, guy I'm choosing. We're talking about clutch here. Yeah. And like clutch is like Adam Vinatieri's middle name. I, I am not going to disagree with you. Jonathan? Yeah, it's Justin Tucker for me. I mean, besides Adam Vinatieri, Justin Tucker's up there with one of the most accurate kickers of all time, if not the most. And I just, it doesn't seem like big moments affect him, and he just comes through all the time for Baltimore. I'm choosing Justin Tucker. All right, well, since you guys already got those two, I, I think I could go a little bit uh, old school here and go with a rare Hall of Famer, but Morton Anderson. I mean, mm. the only all. Hall of Famer at that position? Right. For now, anyways? More, uh, there should be some more, but I don't know if there will be. It's, you don't think Adam Vinatieri's getting in? Yeah, you're right. He will because of all the clutch kicks, the aforementioned clutch kicks. And even though the percentages for current kickers are higher, we're talking about a three-time All-Pro kicker, the only kicker in the Hall of Fame, seven-time Pro Bowler, and a guy who consistently was way up there in league-leading and field goal percentage for his era, I will take the left-footed kicker, Morton Anderson, to knock it through from 45 to give me my $1 million. For his- so, this, so this is from my youth, okay? Growing up in Eastern Iowa, a lot of Bears uh, games were on my local television there. Kevin Butler or Chris oh, yeah. Jackie? Kevin Butler or Chris Jackie? Chris Jackie. Which one do you take, Kevin uh, Butler or Chris I'll, Jackie? Because of the face mask, I'll take Kevin Butler. The one-bar face mask that he was still playing with in like the 90s. Who doesn't want a kicker whose nickname is Butthead? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's also the Harrison Butker, who is second all-time in field goal percentage, who Andy Reid, I think, called him something like Butt Kicker or whatever. Like, good good job, Dad, Andy Reid. So, all right. Anyway. That's a good group. Is that why you're upset by it? Oh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I guess I can't criticize other people for lame jokes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. All right, uh, you, you, I'll have to have you explain how even hot routes work for hot routes at the end, but that'll be the last question. But our next question is, it looks like Freddie Kitchens, um, it was too hot in the kitchens for him as a head coach. Mm. Oh, goodness. Ah. Take that, everyone. I like um, how it's so bad you can hear Declan from the video stream yeah. just say, oh, He's groaning no. from across the room. He's going to be one and done in Cleveland. Tell me, Sage and Jonathan, what would the Browns record be had they, instead of hiring Freddie Kitchens, they had hired Kevin Stefanski, what would the Browns' record be? Go ahead, Sage. Well, they're currently 6-8, and eight, and yep. I think that they're at least 8-6 and six or 9-5. and five. They've got a good roster there, in particular on offense. I mean, they've got some... Some studs at wide receiver. They got a couple good running backs. Uh, you know, there's no reason uh, that their offense isn't more explosive and consistent than it is. And that's supposed to be Freddie Kitchen, Kitchens' uh, thing because he's like the offensive coordinator. But their offense has been poor uh, or inconsistent all year. I think I think Kevin would make three, four games difference over there in Cleveland. I agree with you, Jonathan. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with Sage there. I I I don't think they're markedly better just because he'd only been an offensive coordinator for what like six games at most. In, before he would have taken that job, I think that they would have been a little bit better, like the eight and six range, like Sage said. You know what's interesting is they are twenty um, first in the league in scoring, but they're in the top half of the league in yards. So it's one of those teams that seems to move the ball 
doesn't score enough points. And so, again, that's I think Stefanski, he's done a great job of being very, very efficient. And it's not about total yards, but about scoring touchdowns and, and, and what they've done in the red zone and obviously staying away from turnovers. And we are all about play-action stats here, uh, but Kirk Cousins, even without play-action, has had a good season. Baker Mayfield, without play-action this year, has a 71 quarterback rating and more interceptions than touchdowns. And I think that says a lot about how they have schemed up um, everything else around Baker Mayfield. And like you said, they have tons of weapons. They have one of the best running backs in the league in Nick Chubb. They do not have a great offensive line, but they do have receiving weapons to throw to. And you have both of their very good receivers wanting to be traded at this point and telling other teams to come <laughs> get them. I, I think uh, it's a very tough situation in Cleveland. And Kevin Stefanski would have handled it better. And certainly with more maturity than wearing a it was Pittsburgh's fault shirt. Now that, uh, Sage, having been around Kevin Stefanski, I can guarantee that he would have been a lot more mature than that. Yeah, he's like the 180-degree opposite of sort of that. I can see, um, uh, what's the old Jets head coach's name? I'm, I'm having a... Uh, a well, Rex? A, Rex Ryan. Yeah. I can see him wearing that shirt. Yeah, it's yeah, sort yeah. of juvenile, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think Kevin's the opposite of that. Uh, it, when, when you walk into a coaching room, uh, there's... There's uh, some adults in the room, and there's some not adults in the room. Kevin Stefanski <laughs> is definitely always one of the adults. Now, always, me, always has been since I knew him when he was, you know, in his uh, you know early mid twenties. Let me tag this on. Uh, do you think if Kevin Stefanski is offered the Browns job this time around, if they fire Freddie Kitchens, that he would be hesitant? Because it is a bit of a firestorm there with Odell Beckham and with their weird ownership situation and just general sports curses. Like, would you really want to go from one cursed town in Minnesota to another one in Cleveland? I think if any team uh, could make a big jump next year, it's actually this team. Yeah, I, you're right. I think they've got a good quarterback who... Uh, you know, could be, you know, I, I could just see him in this Vikings offense. I, I think that Mayfield play better. They've got weapons at wide receiver. You know, the running back average five, you know, Chubb averaged 5.2 yards, you know, per carry this year. He's got 1,400 yards uh, uh, rushing. So, I mean, they have good players. I think they have a fairly good defense. They just don't have the glue to make that team really a, a, a real team. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, I'd rather go there than some of these other jobs uh, that, that might pop open where they have no quarterback and they don't have stars at their skill positions. I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland decides to go with someone who's proven, like Ron Rivera or Mike McCarthy, instead of Stefanski because he doesn't have the experience and neither did Kitchens. But Hugh Jackson had lots of experience in the NFL, and that didn't really work out for him either. So, all right, our next question Even uh, with the season completely over for the Miami Dolphins, they are still going to play Ryan Fitzpatrick instead of Josh Rosen, who they traded a second-round pick for. And they gave him a couple of games. They lost, stunningly. And uh, then they benched Rosen, went back to Fitzpatrick. They're sticking with Fitzmagic. Um, Prior to this with Rosen, who is the first-round pick who never had a chance from the very start? Like As soon as he was drafted, it was just over. For this first round pick, and nothing that guy could have ever done would have gotten him over the top. Give me one of those, and also Sage, tell me how you think this ends with Josh Rosen. Well, let's. I'm going to start first with your second question. I think it ends with Josh Rosen. He'll probably. I think he'll play in the NFL for a long time. I think he can be one of those guys that ends up having like a 12 or 14 year career, but pretty much as a backup. I think he. 
you know, there, there's a need for starters, but there's also a need for backups. And I think teams would like him as a backup. I think he's a, obviously, everyone, you know, he's a smart guy, blah, 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 but I think he's a fairly accurate guy. He's, uh, he can run the offense. He's just not a great quarterback. So I can definitely see him being in the NFL, uh, for a long time. As far as quarterbacks who never had a chance, sometimes I say, well, whoever Cleveland drafts, they, they, <laughs> yes. they never had a chance, you know, yes. Eric. Eric, uh, or not Eric Couch, Eric Crouch. Um, Tim Couch. Tim Couch. I don't know if he ever had a chance, but I don't know if he was even on the right team if he had a chance either. He did not have you know, much of a strong arm. And I think Kelly Holcomb, who was his backup, was, might have been a better quarterback uh, than he was. And I don't know if Baker uh, has a chance until uh, he gets the right head coach in there. So uh, for me, it's any Cleveland quarterback drafted <laughs> in the first round. That's a great answer. What do you think, Jonathan? I think, yeah, career backup, just jumping from team to team as just the guy who's smart enough to learn any playbook you throw at him, but just he clearly is not they're not he's not showing what needs to be shown in practice to get the starting reps over Ryan Fitzpatrick right now. Uh and then kind of similar along the lines that Sage said, any quarterback drafted by Oakland in the mid two thousands, mainly Jamarcus Russell, just bad team. There was no support staff for him in Oakland, holding out early or to begin with and just Lane Kiffin, of yeah, course. Yeah, that just so doesn't just, happen anymore. Work. The whole you know, my other my, my, my other one, by the way, I forgot about Tim Tebow. And the reason I say he never had a chance is because to play quarterback in the NFL, you have to be a decent thrower, if not a really good thrower. And he just was not a good thrower. And he could run the ball okay, but he wasn't like Lamar Jackson running the ball. So I think Tim Tebow really never had a chance as an NFL quarterback. I will say Akili Smith for one. I have no idea whether Akili Smith was talented enough to be an NFL quarterback, but I do know that the Cincinnati Bengals at that time when Akili Smith was drafted were the biggest disaster. Of course, all the Cleveland quarterbacks came to mind for me. Uh, another one that I was thinking about was... Um, uh, okay, it just went out of my screen, so I'm trying to remember. I think Johnny Manziel never had a chance. Yeah, because well, he, he, he just gave so, himself a chance. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> exactly, exactly right. You know, he was like so emotionally immature yes. that he was just like, there was no way you're going to give a completely emotionally immature person uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars and a ton of stardom and go like, yeah, yeah, this is going to work out really well for you. Like he didn't have a shot. From the start, but that—I mean, of course—that was his own fault. I don't think it was. I really don't think it was a team around because you know who his offensive coordinator was. It was. It was uh, with, with the Shanahan. I think Shanahan. Yeah, it was Kyle and, and, Shanahan for a yeah, year. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. so you know, most quarterbacks have played and Pat well. Pat Shermer his, was maybe the head coach the year after with Manziel. Was that right? Yeah, and they gave up on him yeah. you know, pretty quickly. And I—I I think it had less to do with almost the on-the-field stuff, but the. Uh, you know, the off-the-field stuff was just, uh, it was just, there's so much nonsense going on. Oh, I was going to say Joey Harrington. I mean, you go to the yeah. Lions and just, I mean, during that time when it was Matt Millen running the team, no shot whatsoever for Joey Harrington to ever become a great quarterback. Do you think E.J. Manuel in the right team? You're up there in Buffalo. Could he have ever been a a first-rounder that on the right system, the right, you know, I, I just never saw him play enough. I uh, don't, six and twelve record as a starter, but yeah, uh, you I don't know, think that EJ the, had the talent. I, I mean, I, I think he was a great guy and a classic journeyman backup, or he would have been had he not retired early. He's very smart. Guys loved him, but he really wasn't an accurate thrower at all. And he didn't have the one thing I'll give Josh Allen is he's not an accurate thrower at all either. But Josh Allen at least has some moxie to him and some fearlessness. He'll he'll run and he'll run people over or jump over Anthony Barr or something. Manuel was timid, so not only did he not throw the ball consistently accurately, but he was also very timid, and 
uh, that combination is just you're not going to be a good player. It I, really is amazing that you know Christian Ponder was drafted with the 12th overall pick. Uh, and didn't, you know didn't last more than four or five seasons in the NFL. You don't see first rounders not last that long because a lot of times they may not work out as a starter, but you know they have the talent. They have they check all these boxes in the pre-draft process that they do at least last for seven, eight, nine, ten years as a yeah. as a backup somewhere. It's some inexpensive backup. You see that all. You've seen it with like Blaine Gabbert and mm-hmm. those types of guys now. But the fact that he didn't even last long as a backup uh, is pretty amazing for a 12th overall pick. So I'm going to add this, that I think at some point in Josh Rosen's career, because he'll not get a starting job now, I don't think. He's going to be a backup. That he'll go to a good team to be the backup for a good team, and the starter will get hurt, and then Josh Rosen will pull a Ryan Tannehill, and he'll have a really, really good run and convince somebody to give him a starting job when he's 32. And then we'll say, whoa, look at that. He revamped his entire career at age 32, and now he's a starter, and he's pretty good. I think that's how it's going to go for Rosen. Things have just been not just not just kind of poor for him, but otherworldly awful with the teams that he's gone to. And I know he hasn't played well at all with those teams, but we also haven't seen any sample size, even with a slightly below average team or even an average team and much less a good team. I would like to see that from Josh Rosen to decide if he can actually play. I just don't know when he's going to get that shot. It'll probably be years from now. So I think well, that's how it plays out. By the way, we're, we're talking about first-round draft picks. I have one that I uh, have a little history with myself. In 2002, I was a quarterback with the, the team from Washington. And uh, Steve Spurrier had just been sent as our head coach, and we had Shane Matthews and Danny Warfel on our Danny roster and, and, my, and myself, two old Gators quarterbacks and myself. And then we drafted Patrick Ramsey yeah, yeah, that's right, uh, in, Patrick in Ramsey. the first round. Um, so I ended up, of course, being the odd man out there, probably the best thing ever happened to me. I would say being drafted by Washington, uh, and it was Steve Spurrier as your yes. head coach in the NFL, yep. you have no chance. That is so I don't know if Patrick Ramsey could have ever made it, but I don't think he had a chance in that system uh, or, or in that franchise. I also think I have a stronger arm than Danny Warfel. Maybe. I've only seen you shoot, though. Yeah, I've only I, seen you shoot the three. I have an okay arm. It's right. probably not actually better than Danny Warfel, but he couldn't throw the ball at the NFL level at all. Uh, you're a great pick with Patrick Ramsey. All right, final hot routes question here for you, Sage. After getting Pro Bowl snubbed, Eric Hendricks, Anthony Harris, uh, those guys are now, I think, in a tight race for the most underappreciated current Viking. Because at least with Kendricks, we locally appreciate him. Harris probably doesn't get the love even locally um, because of Harrison Smith. And everyone who plays next to Harrison Smith is great. I want you to give me, and this could be when you were playing on the Vikings, or it could be just the player that you appreciated when you were growing up. I want you guys to give me the most underappreciated Viking of for your me, of your time. For me, EJ Henderson. I think e, I mean, EJ Henderson uh, was a phenomenal player, middle linebacker for us in those, that 2009 team that I was on. Uh, spent his entire year in Minnesota. I mean, his numbers, he goes 32 tackles his rookie year, but after that, 93, 75, 110, 118. Dislocates two toes in the game in 2008, so he only played four games. Then he goes 83 in 12 games, uh, 105 and 107. Those are tackles uh, season to season. And what's really, really amazing, in 2009, uh, in, week, in game number 12, he breaks his femur. 
Yes, right, the biggest I remember that. bone in the human body, horrific. I believe, or something oh, like that. This horrific. Yeah, yeah awful. Uh, I think it was a Sunday night game down yeah, in Arizona. Yeah, it was Arizona. on national TV because I remember it. Man, it was absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And he spent, I think, a full week or longer uh, down in Arizona in the hospital and you know, flew back on, on the Will's private plane. The next year, 2010, he, they, they put a rod through his femur to sort of like make it strong again or whatever. Uh, he has 105 tackles and goes to the Pro Bowl, his only Pro Bowl, the following season after breaking his femur. E.J. Henderson, uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't Jared Allen, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, didn't get all the pub, uh, maybe of that, uh, you know, and Kevin Williams of, of that, some of those really good teams and those good defenses. But I always sort of thought he was the heart and soul of those good defenses under Brad Childress. Jonathan, I think most n- underrated Viking. I think nationally the most underrated Viking during my career, my time watching the Vikings locally, we love him and we we get that he was great. Nationally, I don't think he gets as much respect as he deserves. Antoine Winfield, I, oh, sure, he just yeah. does. He isn't talked about in the same breath as the guys who were kind of the stars of the cornerback position at that time. If you really dive into it and really watch him closely, mm-hmm. I think you'd have a case for Hall of Fame. But we never grade corners by how great you were at tackling yeah. and how great you were out of the slot. It's always the outside corners with the interceptions who get all the attention. But Antoine Winfield is a great selection. I will go with somebody out of the backfield who, if he had played today, would be in the Pro Bowl, I think, every year. And that is Robert Smith. Insanely fast. Great catcher of the football. A couple of times in the Pro Bowl, but didn't really get like a lot of pub. Didn't play for a really long time either. He decided to retire when he was 28 years old. But the year he retired... He ran for 1,500 yards and averaged 10 yards a catch. Robert Smith was absolutely fantastic on all those teams that put up all the big numbers. Randy Moss, Chris Carter obviously got all the attention. They deserved it. But Sage Robert Smith was awesome. He was routinely averaging five to five and a half yards a carry. When he played uh, for the Vikings, great. Well, play. and he was one of those running backs that was a track guy, so yeah. he had that speed, uh, in particular, like on the outside zone, where you know if he got around the corner, or he got the edge, uh, he could take the ball the distance. And and you don't, a lot of times running back, uh, you know, the Vikings are lucky with Dalvin Cook to have a guy who can go the distance, but a lot of times running backs are guys that can you know carry the low, but maybe don't have top top speed. And obviously, he was a I don't know if he's a Big Ten champion, but ran track at Ohio State and and had some serious, serious wheels. So, yeah, he was a, a very, very good running back. Just didn't have that super long career yeah. um, and, and chose to you know shut it down early because of, obviously, that position just takes a lot of hits. Um, that is Hot Routes. What do you think, Sage? Good? Fun? Hot Routes with a Z. With a Z. It was That's great. Right. You know, if you look up uh, great Greatest Vikings of All Time, which I just did that as, as we were, uh, you know, we're, we're bringing up this segment, I got uh, Eric the Red and Leif Erickson as uh, two of the greatest <laughs> Vikings of all time. And I guess I have to include Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota uh, when I do my Google search. That, yeah, there, yeah. Maybe those guys are. I think Leif Erickson probably overrated. Way too talked up. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, probably. you know, I was just, I was, it sounds like Eric the Red was bloodthirsty. So, well, you know maybe what? he's underrated. Yeah, you know. <laughs> depends what you're looking for. I guess. Uh, real quick, Zeke Elliott told the media in Dallas today that Dak Prescott has an AC joint injury. And we have talked about the AC joint for potentially Delvin Cook. And Prescott not taking the first-team reps in practice today. They have to play Philadelphia on Sunday. 
in Philadelphia. If they have to do it without Dak Prescott, then the five seed is, pro- or not the five seed, the uh, four seed in the playoffs now has a really good chance of going to Philly, even though their team is beat up and not good at all. They have no wide receivers, and like Carson Wentz is just like trying to make, he's like checking down magic. the running backs. Yeah, making magic happen over there, getting the ball to his running backs because they literally, they're like pulling up guys from the practice squad. So, uh, Whoever plays that the NFC, the NFC, uh, NFC team is going to have, you'd think, a, a distinct advantage or whoever has to play the other um, away game in that first round. So that's, you know, if you're going to have to play in the wild card round, uh, whoever is the NFC, whether it's in Dallas or in Philadelphia, um, I don't know which one you'd like to play more. Man, it'd be great to play like Dallas without Dak Prescott. Now that would be, like, fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if the Vikings have to go on the road, the NFC East uh, team, that would be the one you want to play against. Right. So do you root for playing a bad Philly team that you know you can beat or a beat-up Dak Prescott in Dallas? I still think I... you'd probably root for Philly because the Vikings have just smoked their defense the last two times Kirk Cousins has played them. Yeah, I, I but I also like watch. I think the Vikings team plays a little bit better in a dome. Yeah, uh, at that's least good the point. offense does. I think it. Uh, you know, playing late in the year in Philly, if Dalvin Cook is healthy at that point, uh, his speed's not quite as uh, uh, optimal there on the on the bad surface. And I think cut and same same thing with like Stephon Diggs. The way he cuts, you know, sometimes you have a harder time in those bad surfaces. And and uh, you know, they they obviously they've gone to Dallas already already and won. Um, and there's going to be they're just so much um you know conversation in dallas right now about jason garrett you know probably going to be fired too so there's just a lot going on down there i don't mind going to dallas but yeah i I do think philadelphia probably just because they're such a beat-up football team uh, i think the vikings would overwhelm them they get to carson wentz and he turned the ball a few times and and they'd win that football game on the road all right sage fun as always i'm glad you got introduced to hot routes and uh, you will be up here monday and we can name a journeyman quarterback of the week on monday when you are here in studio um so that will be fun I'm, i'm looking forward to that man Looking forward to that, too, as well. Uh, see you on Monday. All right, we'll be right back. Uh, Brandon Thorne's going to talk a little offensive-defensive line with us. Also, Cam Meller from PFF to talk about bowl season. And then the best mystery guest in mystery guest history. I'm holding my breath for 3.30. So we're going to do that. Uh, Alex Boone's going to join us, too, because the mystery guest is for him at 3.30. So it's a, a fun next hour, I hope. This works out. All right, we'll be right back. Uh, you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Well, I think it's um, more than one area. I think, uh, you know, I think Kevin has done a nice job calling the game, which helps. Uh, helps um, the quarterback getting the ball out on time. Helps. He's not sitting back there and patting it. And then uh, the offensive line has done a nice job as well. So, you know, I think if you put all those three things together, um, uh, it's a combination of, of not getting negative plays. That was Mike Zimmer. Let's get right into our next guest here on the show on Purple Daily, Brandon Thorne, the Trench Warfare Podcast, also a contributor to The Athletic. What is going on, Brandon? 
Hey man, how you doing? I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, I'm I'm doing great. Um, I gotta ask you about this offensive line defensive line matchup with the Vikings and the Packers because that's where the last game was decided. And maybe since you do the trench warfare podcast, you would tell me that's where every game is decided. Maybe you're right. Uh, but this one specifically, uh, Brandon, when we talked after maybe it was week four or something, uh, we were very down on a lot of elements of the offensive line because they had just been mauled several times and. And there has been a pretty significant improvement in how uh, often Kirk Cousins gets pressured these days. What, in your mind, has been the difference for the Vikings' offensive line since they last saw the Packers? Um, yeah, so a few different things. I think the most important thing is really just gaining familiarity with not only the scheme but one another up front. And I think that's really kind of where it starts, um, you know, just you know, with the, the new system that came in place, uh, you know, a couple of new starters on the offensive line. Typically, those things take some time, and it did for this unit. And, you know, I think it was fair to expect uh, some sort of improvement as the year went on, which we've seen. I also think that the schedule has gotten a little bit, you know, lighter uh, as the year has gone on in terms of interior defensive line play. Uh, you just look at the last several weeks. I mean, there's been a couple, you know, elite guys mixed in. Um, but, but not many. I mean, you have to really go back to week nine, I think, with Chris Jones and the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really kind of the last elite interior defensive lineman that you guys have seen. Uh, so I think that that plays a part in it as well. Um, so with those two things, I think, uh, you know, they've been able to kind of keep that upward trajectory going for, for a while now. And uh, we're seeing it, you know, kind of pay off here. But I, I think, you know, going into Green Bay, or Green Bay coming to Minnesota, uh, that this is going to be probably the best interior defensive line, just with Kenny Clark there, that they've seen since that Kansas City game in Week 9, and really the best defensive line as a whole as well, So um, that they've seen probably before that, probably since Philadelphia in Week 6. So it's it's going to be a good litmus test, I think, to see where they're at. And specifically, Garrett Bradbury in that Green Bay game got run over by a bus. Uh, welcome to the NFL, sir. Here's Grady Jarrett in week one and Kenny Clark in week two. And since then, there have been some challenges. And uh, Mike Daniels in Detroit really gave him some problems a couple of weeks ago. So it's not all problems are solved. But his season right. since week four has been a heck of a lot better after he was eaten up by Eddie Goldman. But as you mentioned, there have been times along the way, especially when this team gets into third and longs if they can't run the ball that he allows interior pressure uh what in your mind is better about garrett bradbury since he's gone along this season yeah so i just think he's really gotten a a better feel for the speed of the game and you just see it in the way that he's able to execute his assignments in the run game specifically you know getting reach blocks on first level guys nose tackles uh, I think he's doing a better job using his hands uh, in terms of hand placement into guys' frames as opposed to being a little wide early on in the season and really losing leverage quickly and then you know being unable to recover. Um, so I think initially just starting out more precisely with his hands from the snap, uh, he's getting his hips around blocks a little bit better and just he just looks more comfortable really. I mean, he he's starting to kind of bridge that gap from college to pro that you know, we saw it was pretty wide initially, you know, early on in his career so far, and now it's just kind of getting a little bit shorter, and it's looking a little bit more like it looked when he was at NC State when I was, you know, very high on him as, 
you know, most people were, you know, he was a great prospect coming out. And I think he's, he's learning, he's figuring out a way to, to sort of put more of what he did in college on tape in the pros, but it's, it's still a process and, you know, the competition is significantly better. And, you know, there's going to be weeks like this week where he's going to see a guy that is just simply bigger and stronger than him. And he's going to have to figure out a way to, to be really crafty um, with the angles and, you know, his quickness and just the timing of the way he uses his hands and things like that. And it's going to be a chess match, you know, for him uh, pretty much, I would think probably for the rest of his career, especially when he's going against guys like Kenny Clark, there's, you know, I mean, most guys lose to Kenny Clark. And uh, when you're giving up that much size and strength, it makes it that much more difficult. So Clark is a monster, second in the NFL in pressures, only behind Daniil Hunter is Zadarius Smith. He absolutely ate the Vikings alive the last time they played him. He will line up in lots of different places. He's a versatile player. He can come off the the edge. He can rush wide. He can rush inside. Is there any slowing down Zadarius Smith? Is there any scheme? Is there any strategy that you have seen that would work against a player that dominant? Um. I mean, I think really if you don't have a player of his stature, then not really. I mean, it's going to, you know, because they have Kenny Clark and they have Preston Smith and they have creative scheme, they have, you know, some good blitz concepts and things like that. So really it's you kind of have to pick your poison in terms of who you want to give the most attention to. I think Kenny Clark is going to deserve a lot of that attention just because of his matchup on the interior. He's, you know, I think that's a little bit more lopsided than anything. Um, but, you know, as far as the Darius Smith, you know, just like any time you have a really good edge rusher, a little bit more attention with slide protections, tight end help, uh, I think, you know, can, can, you can have some success doing that, providing chips um, and, and, and things like that. But the thing with the Darius Smith is he plays over guards a lot. And uh, so that makes it uh, very difficult. You always have to know where he is and sort of, you know, course or, course correct on you know on on the fly a lot when you play green bay just because they move their guys around so much and the darius smith is really sort of that chess piece that kind of allows them to do all that so he you know a lot of his production comes from the interior uh as opposed to you know just rushing off the edge so it's going to be tough i mean they're one of the more difficult fronts i think in the league to pass protect against yeah, and that will be uh, the challenge, certainly, for Pat Elfline, who has turned his season around in large part as well. But again, like you said, not quite facing this level of talent. Um, before I let you go, Brandon, on the other side of things, the Vikings defensive line on the edges has been spectacular. They're starting to develop some players like Afadi Adenabo and Jaleel Johnson, but it's not the same in the middle. Where does the Packers offensive line stand right now? And Mike Zimmer will remind us that they hold all the time because he loves to bring that up. But uh, where do they stand? <laughs> right now uh, as opposed to maybe years past where it was very very difficult to get to Aaron Rodgers Uh, I still think that they're playing at a really high level I I think that they're one of the five or six best offensive lines in the league Um, you know I think it's been a pretty significant adjustment uh, for a guy like David Bakhtiari with the scheme that came in with Matt before but uh, otherwise I think still David Bakhtiari is playing really well Brian Belago is playing really well I think they're one of the three or four best tackle tandems in the league. They give Aaron Rodgers a ton of time, and Aaron Rodgers, you know, kind of brings a lot of pressure on himself, honestly. Um, so I think that their offensive tackles versus Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter, you really cannot get a better matchup. 
than this. So th- this is really, it's elite versus elite. So that's going to be, I think, the best matchup on the line of scrimmage on either side of the game is those four players going at it. Um, and then the interior, you could take advantage of the right guard spot, I think, probably more than any other, and that's Billy Turner. I think he's the weak link of the group. Um, Corey Lindsley at center, is a, a, he's been good for a long time. Uh, he's having a good year. Um, he wins with quickness uh, primarily, and then he's surrounded. It, it's, it's a really cool mix on their interior because Lindsley is a guy who wins with quickness. He's really good with his hands. And then the two guards are kind of just like hammers. You know, they're big, strong, physical guys. And Elton Jenkins being a rookie at left guard, he stepped in early in the season, and he's an excellent. Um, so, you know, it's a really, really nice mix that they have there. They can run the ball. They can pass protect. Um, it's going to be a, a tough matchup for the defensive line. But when you have elite edge rushers like you do, I think, you know, you, you can definitely get some pressure. It's just it's going to be a great matchup to watch, you know, especially on the outside. I think. Yeah. What I love about this game is that most that we've gone into this year have been like, well, we'll see. You know, the Vikings are a much more talented team. They should win on this one. From a lot of aspects, it is an extremely, extremely close matchup. So in the trenches will be fun to watch. And I know that you'll be watching it. Brandon Thorne, uh, follow him on Twitter, at Brandon Thorne NFL. He is the offensive and defensive line analyst for Establish the Run, which is uh, a website run by Evan Silva. Also does Broncos film, if you're interested in that, for The Athletic. And the tremendous Trench Warfare podcast focusing on offensive and defensive line play. Brandon, great stuff. Thanks. To, uh, uh, glad to talk to you again, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. All right. And we have to go from one very smart analyst who I love to another one. So let's get to uh, Cam Meller of uh, Pro Football Focus. All right. Now we welcome into Purple Daily. He covers college football for PFF. Cam Meller. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Cam. What is going on, buddy? I'm just, uh, you know, living the dream here, setting my stage for an incredible holiday season in which I plan to watch every snap of every bowl game coming up even the even the hilarious hilarious ones as you mentioned yes so this is the thing uh cam i get highly scrutinized here inside the building for watching every possible snap of bowl football that i can and and i'm sure it's not quite as much as you but at any given time from december 20th until the end of the national championship i will have college football on my television because a I learn about players that I never would have learned about before, and a lot of them show up at draft time. And also, Cam, it just is crazy football. You have matchups that make no sense. You have games that are absolutely crazy. Some could be three to nothing. Some could be seventy-two to sixty-eight, or, or, or something like that. I love this system. People complain about it. Oh, they need to get rid of a bunch of bowl games. I say, Cam, bring me the bowl games. Bring me all of them. Even give me the loser tier. Let let these teams that may you know face a pretty rough schedule and, and finish with a two loss record. I don't care. Put them all in. At least have some sort of something for them at the end of the a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm here for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. I'm here for <laughs> what was it? The Bad Boy Mowers, Gasparilla Bowl. I'm here for them all. I don't care what the names are. I'm with you. So I, I share the same sentiment. Sounds like uh, this is, we are a good company here. Now, when I start reading through these matchups, even the first few are so delicious. I mean, you have Charlotte playing uh, my hometown Buffalo to kick it all off in the Bahamas, which is just a, a tremendous sentence to have said. You, then you have Utah State, Kent State, Central Michigan, San Diego State on December 21st, and a bunch of other ones that are just great. Tell me 
about the early first couple of days, if there is a matchup in here that you just can't get enough of, that, that you would be saying, no, trust me, you have to watch the blank bowl because it's going to be great. Well, I, I think you, you mentioned, I mean, both Friday slates are terrific. The Bahamas one is, fine, is great, but in Frisco, Texas, it's Kent State versus Utah State. If you haven't watched this, a second of Mac football, that's fine. I get it. If you're in the national stage or if you don't have a Mac school in your backyard or if you don't live in the Midwest, but Kent State quarterback Dustin Crum, if you hadn't heard about him, this dude is amazing, a top five, top ten graded quarterback for us all year at PFF. And then you get to see Jordan Love, who made the questionable decision to declare for the draft early. So whether he plays or not, you will see him at the Senior Bowl. You'll hear him for the NFL draft standpoint. So that alone, you have Dustin Crum, who will likely also be drafted if he decides to leave early, I don't think he will. I think he and Sean Lewis are the next hot commodities to come out of the MAC next season. When they'll both be back, and Sean Lewis, their head coach, will likely move on to a Power 5 gig. So if you want to sit here and watch an awesome bowl game for awesome players, it's a MAC team that likely should have contended for the MAC title. It's a Utah State team with uh, drug charges and other scrutiny and players <laughs> really committing to leave early from the program because maybe there's not a whole lot to do in Logan, Utah. This is That's a fun one. It's delicious, like you said, because both quarterbacks are top-notch. Uh, it's just a fun matchup between two teams that likely will never play unless they're in a bowl game. Now, is Kent State, is their mascot a kangaroo or something? It's a golden flash. So I'm not going to, I think we'll leave that up to uh, assumption when we see it on the, on the field yeah. on, on Friday night. I think, I think I remember this, that they have a, a kangaroo that runs around on the field or something. Um, now, the Jordan Love decision to leave Utah State, I've only seen maybe two games of his, but I didn't watch either of those games and think, oh yeah, this guy is ready. I mean, he's not playing for a great team by any means, but what a strange choice for him to go into the draft. It's not quite like Tyree Jackson last year being undrafted. I think someone will pick him, but he had a chance to play another year and be a high draft pick, and now it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, maybe there was some misadvising. Maybe there was something else, and he was going to be a part of the Utah State if there was a crackdown of these students or you know peers on campus snitching for these char- drug charges that have come up. Maybe there was something involved with that. The program was changing. But, yeah, I mean, you, he could have transferred out. Let's face it, the last three Heisman winners were transfers. The last three first overall picks, and I'm including Joe Burrow as that, are transfers at the quarterback position. Not saying he was going to win the Heisman or be drafted first overall if he does that because Trevor Lawrence is there next year at Clemson. But this guy, I mean, let's, the transfer portal and the window for that, I mean, you could have gone to Oklahoma. You could have gone to any one of these Power 5 schools, gotten more exposure, honed your craft, so to speak. Because, I mean, coming into this year, there were some, well, there was one scout that said he reminded him of Patrick Mahomes, and the, the guy remained nameless because uh, for good reason, because there's no comparison there. I mean, there was no, no stretch this season that he looked anything like he was 2018, which he actually did have some high-level play. So 20, uh, 2019 Jordan Love entering the draft is a questionable decision at best. Well, Cam, I, I disagree. If there's an anonymous scout, I believe what they have to say. And then that's just it for me. <laughs> like, that's all I need to hear. Oh, not, oh they're a scout? Okay, great. Um, I, I have to ask you about, uh, on New Year's Day, Gophers and Auburn. Because I would love to go one by one, but this would be a much, much longer interview. And uh, But it would be hilarious. But the, but the Gophers playing against Auburn. When we were talking about where the Gophers could end up and who they might play against, there was a debate here, Cam, of do you really want to see them play Auburn? Isn't Auburn actually kind of awesome? Or like, Don't you want a bowl win? But I also think there's another perspective to say, hey, you were a 10-2 team. 
why don't you go show it in a bowl game that you deserve to have that respect? And it wasn't just the product of an easy schedule and one cool win against Penn State when Penn State did not play very well. Um, I think this would actually be a great accomplishment for P.J. Fleck if he could beat a really talented team like Auburn. Yeah, and Auburn's had an incredible stretch of the season with a true freshman quarterback who's not very good. So that defense has you know, carried them to more victories than I think anybody else if you use frequent guest and friend of yours, Eric Eager's war metric, the only SEC quarterback that actually had a winning record but was in negative uh, in our wins against replacement metric, it was Bo Nix at Auburn. So huh. this is a chance for that Minnesota Golden Gophers defense to flex its muscles against the quarterback who is not very good. You will need Tyler Johnson to hang on to the football and you'll need Bateman to you know, make a couple plays on the outside because Auburn defense, if, if the Minnesota defense is good and the Auburn offense is bad, the Auburn defense is absolutely terrific. I mean, the, the biggest test that Joe Burrow had all season long and the only minor, you know, out, outlier performance from his terrific season was against Auburn. So I, I, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm with you. Prove it. Prove that this was not just a, an easy schedule that you had, you know, your t- toughest games at home. Prove it. Go out there and PJ Flack get a notable win in, you know, among the bowl game scrutiny, among a day, probably one of the better days of all the bowls actually across the slate. So prove that you're there and that you belong, and I think that that, that does wonders for the program. Now, Cam, I, I know that you're not Cam Meller draft scout on Twitter, but I also think um, that, you know, since you watch so much college football, you've got a good sense for who could play in the NFL and what types of things translate. For the Gophers, there's a few guys that are getting a lot of talk for potential NFL players, but I also think that it's a, it's a typical local thing to be like, oh yeah, this guy, first rounder, um, but Antoine Winfield Jr. and Tyler Johnson, to me, those guys look like legitimate NFL prospects. If you've seen any of those guys play this year, do you have a take on whether they could be fairly high or really intriguing draft prospects um, come around in, in April? Yeah, if I'm in need of a safety and I want a guy that can fly around the field and has you know the uncoachables already done, I mean, the guy's got the football IQ that you would expect from the, his pedigree. There, there are things that you can't coach and that you can't quantify in the NFL, and he has it. The ability to fly around and let him free roam, that has to be a highly desired skill. It's some, something that, like, a Derwin James has. And while Winfield didn't put up the, the pass rushing and run defense totals that we saw Derwin James do while also in coverage, uh, coverage is king. For a defense, you have to be able to pass, you have to be able to cover the pass. And so for him to do what he did, I have to think he's a day one or day two prospect at the absolute latest. And then Tyler Johnson, if this weren't the deepest receiver class in history, is a first-round day-one lock for sure, but he'll oh, likely wow. slide into round two or round three just because of how talented and how deep the wide receiver class is. But Carter Coughlin as well, I think, is a disruptive pass rusher and is perfect for an early uh, round four, early early day three pick as well. And then, I mean, I think even from there, there there's a few more, but those are definitely the top three. And I'd I take Winfield if I'm in need of safety in the back half of the first round for sure. Talking with Cam Meller, he's the lead college football analyst for uh, Pro Football Focus's college coverage. Well, let's, let's talk about the uh, college football playoff here. Do you think um, it's the right system? Do you like it? I, mean, I, I think whatever system there is, no matter if it's the NCAA basketball tournament where we had to make it more teams somehow to get even more people in, or even if it's something like Major League Baseball, we create a one-game playoff and then say, oh, well, that's not fair either. Nothing is perfect, but I kind of like where we're at with this, Cam. I don't necessarily need eight teams to be in. I think they've got the best four here. 
Yeah, the eight-team truthers had a uh, harsh reality this year. When <laughs> you realize the eight teams would be Baylor, Georgia, who both have lost a combined three games against the teams that are in the top four. So I, I like it. I, I do think that there may have been something to, you know, each conference getting their champion in. But then, you know, you look at Auburn who lost to – or you look at Oregon who lost to Auburn who lost to LSU. So, you know, you, there's all those matchups. See, this year – it is accurate. These are the best four teams in the country. And these are the best four teams against the top-notch level of, of competition they've played as well. So I, there is probably some tweaks to, to be made to guarantee the Power Five if you're going to keep calling them the Power Five conferences. But then who's the next one in? And it's, is it going to be a team that's got two losses to maybe teams at the top? So right now, four, and as, as they're standing now, these games on the 28th are certainly between the best four teams in the country, and there is no denying it. Cam, I also love the matchups. I think the matchups are just super good. I mean, I, I want to see Jalen Hurts against LSU. I want to see as much of Joe Burrow against the team where you can score uh, as I possibly can and see if he can do a Drew Brees and complete 96% of his passes. And then I, the Ohio State-Clemson one is great because Clemson played a very easy schedule and no one's really sure are they that great still, but Trevor Lawrence is going to be the next whoever, Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning. I mean, this just has like superstar talent and great matchups written all over it. Both of them do. I mean, I, I think even the LSU game, I don't think you see the full LSU starters all the way through the fourth quarter either. So they get to rest up because that's just how porous that Sooners defense has been as of late and with Hurts. You know, he's got to play turnover-free and turnover-worthy play-free the entire game if they want a chance. Losing a couple players to suspension as well that does not help them as, as, at all. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the cream of the crop of all bowl games is likely the Clemson Tigers OSU Buckeyes matchup because, you know, as good as both defenses have been, this is by far the best offense that each team has faced. And so there will be points scored in bunches. And right now, I mean, anytime you get to pit the tied for top two quarterbacks and overall PFF grade in a game that means everything, I mean, watch for fireworks and watch for, I mean, utter absolute dominance at the quarterback position and these two are arguably the two favorites for the Heisman next year and even you know Lawrence goes number one overall in 2021 and Justin Fields is going to be barking up that tree as well to go as the second quarterback drafted as well so I mean there's a lot on the line for college for the national championship but then also for you know future odds to uh, open the season as Heisman and national champion favorites between those two. It also always seems like the Vikings end up with players who played in the national championship. I mean, I guess that goes for everyone because they're in the national championship, but almost every single year it's, I'm asking a guy who's just been drafted, well, what was it like to play in that sort of atmosphere or something like that uh, after they get drafted? I need two more things from you, Cam. I need your favorite bowl game sponsorship from this year, and I also need who wins the national championship. I think LSU beats Clemson in the national championship game, and we get to see the matchup. I think that everybody else had been wanting, all, or for the for when the playoff was announced, and, and Burrow and Lawrence both back to back first overall picks. Uh, and then I, I got aside with the best bowl game. I'm a, I'm a homer here, but it was actually one I was picking on the bowl game names and the sponsorships before the, all the the games were announced. And uh, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, you know, yes. didn't get your name, so you great. Your name brand cereal but you got the mascot of a cereal so we went to we went that far and then actually you know my alma mater florida state gets penciled into play arizona state in that one so i had to uh i have to turn that one on and watch with renewed interest and in not only the name but also the team that's playing this time i can't wait for december 27th eastern time it's ten fifteen, so nine fifteen here washington state plays air force in the cheese it bowl <laughs> i mean you just can't get better than this this is this is peak sports cam 
And isn't Pat McAfee planting the cheese at the, the cheese wheel or something along those lines, too, for the game? He's the, the, the speaker of the house for He's, this game, I think, too. Do they call it the big cheese, possibly? The big cheese? Yeah, there you go. Oh, no, that's great. Uh, follow Cam Meller and his great coverage of all bowl game names and also football analysis at PFF underscore Cam. You want to do that to be prepared for the draft for the Vikings and also as you get ready for uh, the Gophers taking on Auburn in their bowl game as well. So uh, great to have you, Cam. As always, you do awesome work. I appreciate you coming on, man. Really appreciate you having me, and uh, I will say it, go Gophers, because I've been an anti-Bo Nixer all year long, so I'm going to keep that up going forward through the bowl season. An anti-Bo Nixer sounds like you're against some sort of medical procedure. Uh, <laughs> all right, Cam. That, that I am not. I'm pro-vaccine, <laughs> but anti-Bo Nixer. Go there. That's great. That's great. All right. Uh, well, that's a perfect place to end it. We've never ended one of these smoothly ever, and we keep up that streak today. Great stuff, Cam. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it, man. Jonathan here with a quick Score North download. Destination Winter St. Paul featuring the Wells Fargo Winter Skate and the Securing Financial Super Slide is open now through February 22nd at CHS Field in St. Paul. The Wells Fargo Winter Skate opens daily at 11 a.m. And the Securing Financial Super Slide is open Thursday through Sunday. For more information, visit scorenorth.com keyword winter. That's been your very quick Score North download because we want to get to, hopefully, a special guest here. Caller, take it away. All right, we're waiting on the mystery guest. This is great drama. You know, I think that the two oh, great most drama for you. dramatic situations in my entire life, one of them is waiting to see if a guest calls when you're excited about that guest. You're staring at the phone like, come on, come on, call. Come on, call a mystery guest. And the other one is when you get on a plane and you sit down and everybody's getting in there to the plane, everybody's putting their stuff away, and there's nobody sitting next to you. And you start going, wait a minute. Could I have two seats for this flight? This happened to me on my way out to Los Angeles. Is, is this really going to happen? Am I going to have two seats? And I ended up with two seats for a three-hour flight or so. I watched two movies. I spread out. It was fantastic. And uh, I will make a movie suggestion while we wait for our mystery guest here to call in. Uh, Free Solo, the movie Free Solo, is unbelievable. It is about a mountain climbing dude who does not use a rope. He just climbs the mountain himself with no rope, and it is unbelievable. Uh, hi, Alex Boone. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. I actually heard, wait, what did you say, Free Solo? Free Solo. It is unreal. Like, it crazy compelling. It is the, basically the profile of a guy who climbs mountains with no rope, which most people who try to do that die, yeah. but he is the best of all time doing it. And it follows him trying to uh, conquer the biggest mountain of his life. So it's amazing. Sounds amazing. I watch that. Um, while we wait for our mystery can, guest Can here, I get a hint? Can no. I just get a clue? No. The no, no, suspense no. is killing me. It's killing me, too, because I need the mystery guest to call. <sighs> Jonathan's got his head down over there. He's going to pass out. Don't pass out, okay. All right. We wait. I just want we this wait. to happen. I know. This is tough. So this bad. Is tough. Is uh, someone just messing with us right so, now? No, I don't think so. I, I think it's just... I was told around 3.30. And I'm like, okay, well, it's around 3.30 now. Um, but uh, while we wait, since you're here, um, do you want to comment on the Pro Bowl snubbery? There, it was it was snubtastic yesterday for the Vikings. They only get three Pro Bowlers in despite being 10-4. and four, And Eric Hendricks gets left out, who you yesterday were making the case for defensive MVP. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think I want to talk. I'm so upset about not only that, but even the Kirk Cousins. And I think, you know, there was only three that could get in. But I, I Kirk had a better year than Aaron Rodgers. And I don't care what yeah. anyone says. That, And, you know, I, I was really upset about it. And, and I used to get upset for my teammates because I always wanted the guys that were that deserved the right to call themselves Pro Bowlers to get that. And I didn't want it to always be a popularity contest. So if if I'm sure those guys don't care. But, you know, Kendrick's not getting in was a huge snub, my, probably the biggest snub, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so, too. And when, you know, I know that you, know, you could debate over PFF grades and things like that, but he's number one in the entire league by that metric. And having watched every snap of his season, I would totally agree with that. I mean, he has been basically the, the force that has kept this defense as, as being good. It's not a great defense, but the way that the cornerbacks have played, they've needed Eric Hendricks to step up and be great in coverage. If Eric Hendricks had only been good in coverage this year, I think they've lost more games than this because li- uh, linebackers usually end up you know in the flat covering right. running backs. And can you remember the last time that a running back had a good game against the Vikings? I mean, there was one yep. catch from Eckler in the Los Angeles game, but aside from that, there have been very few times that opposing teams have taken advantage of the Vikings in throwing to their running backs, and that's what a lot of offenses are now predicated on. Right, it's what the running back can do, not only running the ball, but catching the ball out of the backfield. But I think even more to the sense of, have you seen this guy from sideline to sideline? It's pretty incredible. There's nothing he can't do. And I I mean, he can tackle Saquon Barkley by himself, Ezekiel Elliott. But I mean, guys that normally have to be brought down by several players, This he has no problem with that. And he has no problem sticking his nose into places that he's probably like, listen, man, this is going to hurt, but I'm going to do it. And to me, that's a selfless player. And the fact that he didn't get in. Now, I get it, Bobby Wagner and Luke Keekley, like that is some huge regard. I just think that Kendricks has kind of taken that step and kind of stepped over Keekley a little bit. And obviously, Bobby Wagner's always going to get the most respect because what he does on the field is tremendous. But to me, Kendricks is not even half a minute behind him. I mean, I think that those two guys, to me, are the same. Yeah, and Kendricks has had the slightly better year, probably, than, yeah. than either two of those guys. And, and something that's obnoxious to me is that you have the outside linebackers, but some of them are... They're just edge DM. rushers. That's yeah. all they do. They're defensive ends. How, how, do you, how is Vaughn Miller an outside linebacker? How is Khalil Mack an outside linebacker when you might drop back in coverage seven times <laughs> in a season, and yet you're called an outside linebacker because of how the, the defense that you play in. I feel like that's just an antiquated way of looking at it. Yeah, and not only that. I mean, dude, they drop back seven times in their career. I mean, those guys are paid to rush the passer, not drop. So, you know, I'm with you. I'm not sure where they're coming from. It's just another chance, though, to get those guys out there. And, and I was talking to someone today. They were like, dude, I totally agree with you. I think it's not right that those guys got passed up. But if you think about it, it's what does everybody want to see? You know, when it comes down to these guys, everyone loves the Deshaun Watsons and the Pat Mahomes. They're the guys that are out there, and they're making it look really sleek and really fun. And then there's kind of Kirk Cousins who's like, well, I'm going to pretend to give it to you and throw it over here. You know, it's not always the sexiest or the prettiest, but, man, he gets it done. Man, still waiting on mystery guest, and this is like, this is like when you order a present on December twenty third, <laughs> hoping, and, and you, hoping. you click overnight <laughs> shipping. You are like, oh man, okay, I, I got the perfect gift for the wife, but it's shipping from New Mexico in one day. <laughs> if only. Is it gonna get here? And that's how I, I feel with this right now. And the, the I'm, I'm hoping that this still comes through. But If they don't come through, do I get to find out who it was? Yes, you do. Okay. I'll tell you who it was supposed to be if this does not come through. But we've got, we've got time here. We've okay. got time here to, to try and make this happen. Um, 
but I have not gotten a response on a text I just sent, which is making it worse. Um, so That's anyway, we'll just continue the conversation, and uh, you can write this down. Your time card is Hey, by the way, <laughs> I called the Harry getting in, though, right? You like, did, you yes. Okay, yeah, that dude is too, he's too dynamic as well. I mean, the, the, the way he sets the tone from day <gasps> one, play one. The phone's okay. ringing. Here we go. The phone is ringing. Here we go. Is it? Is that? I'm just watching Jonathan right now. This is, uh, he's smiling. He's smiling. Give me thumbs up. Oh, yes, we're doing this. I'm Who nervous. cares what you're going to say about Harrison? This is great. Okay. Mystery guest. All right. I just got to let Jonathan put him on the line. Don't hang up and on I him. I forgot how we planned out that we wanted to do this. So Take the range, I'm just going to let Jonathan play the highlight, and then we will introduce our mystery guest. Gore here. Gore. Gore takes it I to the 41. I knew it. He has just run into NFL history. A gain of six for Frank Gore. He is the third all-time leading rusher in pro football history. Alex Boone, do you want to introduce our next guest, Frank Gore, and congratulate him on being third all-time on the rushing list? Go ahead, Alex. Frank, to the greatest running back in in my eyes, the greatest leader, the only guy that stepped in on third down and loved to hit people. Uh, uh, Dude, how are you? Frank, Boom, what's up, man? How you been? What's up, buddy? How are you, dude? Congratulations! I love what you guys are doing up in Buffalo right now. I absolutely love it. How are you? I'm good, man. We got this tough team over here, boom. Dude, you guys are gritty, dude. I love everything about what you're doing. You basically go into like other people's houses and just kick them around. I love it. That's that's, that's how we was. That's how we was in San Fran, man. Dude, same, how... same type of team, bro. How we were back then. Those were different days, man. We had so much fun. My God, what is going on? What's up, man? Oh, man, I can't tell you. Listen, you guys are going in this week to play New England. It's going to be a tough game, but I'm riding with you guys 100%. Tell me, how how are you feeling right now? How do you feel about this week? Oh, I feel good, man. You know, you know, it's another game. Uh, we know New England is a good team. You know, going up there is going to be tough to win, but, you know, we're going to go up there and be us. You know, um, be tough and no smart, play good ball. No play our type of ball. Absolutely. And, now here's a question I got for you, Josh ball. Allen. What is up with your quarterback? You'll love him, boom. You'll love Josh, man. I feel like he I would have been, man. I tell him maybe. I tell him all the time. He would have loved been on our team. We'd have loved Josh. Josh a ball player, man. He's tough. He's competitive, man. He got a strong arm. A strong arm. He can run. And man, great dude. Great dude, man. That's my man. Dude, that is incredible. Now, i got to switch sides and talk about your defense because you guys are a team that's predicated on kicking people in the face, and your defense does a better job than most teams can. What can you say about your defense that makes them so special? Um, They play together. They play together. They play hard. Um, You know, um, I knew that was good when I am um, in training camp, man, when we was doing 9-7 and team drills, man, it was so hard to run the ball. I was like, man, it reminded me when I was in San Fran at training camp when we couldn't run the ball on Justin Smithson. I said, man, if, if them boys, if it's tough like that in practice, imagine the game. You know, um, and I see it every Sunday, man. I'm happy that I'm on the same side of the ball with them, man. Cause they, 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 great group of guys over there, man. And, you know, it's a team period, man. We just all believe in each other. You know, we all, you know, we all just one, man. We don't, nobody look, you know, try to be better than the next man. You know, we all come to get, come in, we work, don't complain, whatever our coaches say we do. And I think that's why we win it. You know what I'm saying? 
Buffalo Bills running back uh, Frank Gore, or my Christmas present to Alex Boone, is setting up the interview. Uh, Frank, I can't tell you how often Alex brings you up as a guy who sets a standard for the rest of the locker room. And I I know you get asked this all the time, but I am curious. You see running backs who play to the age of 28, and that's kind of it, and and they run out of gas. Your longevity, other than being, you know, having uh, Alex Boone block for you, which I'm sure helped when you were in San Francisco, but. me down a couple of times, man. <laughs> okay. That's a lot. But, but, but what is it, man, that, that has allowed you to continue to play at this high of a level for so long? Uh, I would just say, you know, the love that I got for the game, um, the way I could, you know, the way I compete, and I always been told what I can't do, and even now today, you know, when I got up in age, since I was 28, I heard, I was going here, I was hearing that, you know, uh, you know, I'll be done next year, this, you know, and I just keep that in my in my head and keep grinding. And I also got to say that man up above, man, just being with me, you know. And other than that, just loving the game of football. And, and to that, Frank had the greatest worth ethic that I have ever seen in my entire life. I mean, that guy was in every single day. He led the breakfast group. He did not take plays off, days off, minutes off. Everything about Frank was always to a T. And I loved him in the huddle because he would always keep you accountable at times. And, I, and I'm looking back at this whole team, Frank, and I think, my God, we had Giro, who's now running one of the best offenses in the league. I, I just think back to how good we could have been if we had just stuck together and been more together and maybe not had Trent Balky around so much. Oh, man, I don't have nothing to say about that. We had a good – we. oh, man, I be talking to Justin Smith a lot about us, man. We should at least have two – we should at least have two rings, man. But, you know. Uh, we didn't take advantage of it, you know. No, we didn't. And your boy, your um, you know, your GM kind of, you know. Yep. I'm done with it. I don't want to talk. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> say no more. Listen, say no more. He was here, and Randy kicked him off the field. So I was like, listen, I'm not the only one that's upset about how things went down. So believe me, Frank. Frank, when you, when you become a broadcaster after your career like Alex, that's when you can tell those stories. I have to ask you, you Frank, I, uh, Delvin Cook mentioned working out with you some, another Miami guy. Uh, what have you made of seeing him uh, ascend man. the way he has and make the Pro Bowl? I'm happy for him, man. You know, from the same area, man, and. You know, I know them young guys, you know, used to look up to me when they was younger. And now they in, you know, it's daytime. You know, and I'm so happy, man, because he, you know, he has his ups and downs when he got in the lead, you know, injuries. And, you know, he, he fought through them. And you see why they dropped him um, in the second round, man. He's a top, top young guy in this lead now. And, he, you know, I'm happy what he's doing out there. I'm happy. Yeah, listen, what they've been doing here is incredible, and I think it goes to a lot of the of what this quarterback's doing too. But, man, I'll tell you what, Frank, it is so good to hear your voice. God, I wish you guys nothing but success this week, especially in New England, because it's been so long since the Bills have earned the right to say that. But, man, if you guys had a year, I really do think that you have helped spark this team into something special. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. How much you win now, Boone? Dude, like 275, ready for the next Iron Man, dude. I'm ready to go. Okay, let's go, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Frank, listen, if you need a guard, you call me. I will always come play for you. You were the greatest. I appreciate it, boy. Thanks, Frank. Hey, Hey, Frank. hey, we used to have to to make Boone be quiet on the field, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was hard back then, too. Yeah, same, and we're on the radio, and and still we have to calm him down a little. One last thing for you, uh, Frank, before you go. The atmosphere in Buffalo, that's where I grew up, and I... uh, 
I, it, it's crazy. Right, right. Mafia. Dude, <laughs> great, yes. Great, but I, I didn't great see plan. a lot of winning there during my time in Buffalo. Hey, you better come back. You better come back. <laughs> man. I'm telling you, after this year, they go. They gonna keep going, man. They go, I'm telling you, Chris McDermott, man, his coaching style is doing a great job. Um, my GM being, um, you know, he got an eye for talent, and boy, they got a lot of young talent in this team. On this team, man, who. Man, I sit back and be like, man, this team gonna be good for a long time. I think, like, I think they gonna it's their time, man. When I'm done, I'm gonna be sitting back like, hey, I knew it's gonna be their time because they got a lot of talent in here. Well, and I fear for all the tables. Talent. I fear for all the tables that people yes. are jumping through outside. Uh, Frank, hey, hey Boone, you know, you remember how they, how it switched with us in um in, in NFC West? Yeah, remember that, that's how it's gonna be here, boy. That's a lot of talent here. <laughs> I believe the question is, Frank, how much longer are you gonna be there? Because I'm excited for uh-huh. you. I don't know. I'm going to see how, you know, I'm going to try to finish wrong and push and run and try to get a ring, and I'll go from there. Hell yeah. You can, you, uh, can you give us an Alex Boone story, Frank, real quick before you go? Oh, man, I can't because there's too many cuss words. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, I got to know. My son always wants to know. He goes, Dad, do you think Frank remembers me? Do you remember Johnny? He needs to know. Yeah, I remember when you have him in the locker room on Saturdays. And, Dude, you know, he loved you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, Like yes. You know, when we'd have, have a family to come through. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember your son, but yeah, Boone was a man. I, I, I was happy for Boone because he was an underdog, man. You know, he was kind of like myself. A lot of guys say what he couldn't do, and he, he showed him wrong. He showed, he proved him wrong. And man, you know, he was uh, undrafted. And man, you know, I know that what he went through in college, but he he showed people that it, it could be done, and he did it. You know, he was tough. Um, he ran his mouth a lot. We had to make him be quiet. <laughs> but some of the, 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 the good D linemen don't crank up and start teeing off on me. You know, uh, um, but nah, Boone was a good teammate, man. He was tough. Um, he was one of the, um, you know, key, key guys of the line with him, Joe Staley. And man, we, we had, we had a good time out there, man. I respect all my guys, especially when San Fernando, well, who did the, did the most shots I played with, you know, in my career. You know what I'm saying? Well, Frank, uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I, I know that uh, I'm sure you have a busy schedule and you have to prepare for a game. And, and I would just say to you that uh, though I am an unbiased journalist, I would not hate to see you beat the Patriots. Let's just put it that way. Um, so the best of luck to you. And uh, thanks a lot for doing this, man. It means a lot to my guy, Alex. This is my Christmas present to him uh, because he really um, respects you and everything you've done in your career. So congratulations on your accomplishment. And, and thanks for coming on, man. Uh, all right, boom. I appreciate y'all. Thanks, Frank. Take care. Right. Frank Frank Gore, our mystery guest. And uh, also, just a shout-out to my friend in Buffalo who works Bill's PR, Kevin Kearns, who uh, set that up. So. Dude, Kevin, how about that? I You're love welcome. you. I love you. So, you have no idea how excited <laughs> I am for tomorrow's show now. Like, this just... <laughs> Frank was the the epitome of like because I I learned from Frank like, I'd be like Frank what makes a really good running back and he would like look at me and he'd be like dude honestly you want to know he'd be like the guy on third down that blocks the most and I'd be like that's fair that's a fair assessment but then Frank would take it to another level where he loved to declete guys so like he would come out of nowhere and try and take them off their feet as and he would do it as much as he could like he loved it and he'd laugh at guys like he jokes that I talked a lot Frank talked a lot too and we'd be like yo Frank slow down dude slow down this is getting a little crazy out here but he was the guy that always kept you accountable and he did not fear cussing you out in the huddle no like D-Line would be like dude I heard that I heard what he said to you I bet you shut up you shut your mouth right now Don't you say another word about that He'd be like, dude, Frank cutting you hard. I'd be like, shut your mouth. <laughs> Great, though. I loved well, him. You know what um, has really struck me over the years that I've been able to be in the locker room and around players is how much one guy can make a difference. And you and I have talked about this 
before with certain players in the Vikings locker room that Eric Hendricks has now sort of taken that spot of someone like Terrence Newman or like Teddy Bridgewater with a, a leadership role and, and what it means to impacting other people. And you see no surprise that the Bills' other running back, Singletary, all of a sudden he's emerging as a star and everybody's talking about him. And you see their offensive line playing well and you see them getting the most out of their quarterback that they possibly could, I right. think. So, you know, Gore is one of those guys where when they signed him, it's like, wait, are you serious? Like, how old is this guy? You're really bringing him in there? Um, but the impact of someone like that can be seen beyond just uh, what he averages yards per carry and things like that. Absolutely. It's the accountability factor. It's the fact that when you're in the room with him, he knows that you're not paying attention, so you feel his eyes burning in the back of your head. And then on the game day when he's like, hey, remember when I was yelling at you? This is why I'm yelling at you. And you're like, man, Frank's about to go off us. <laughs> but he was so right. And he was kind of like one of these guys that was like, hey, listen, if we're going to talk about it, let's be about it. And he was the first one to always step up and accept the challenge. And for that, I will always respect him. Well, um, you know, I think it's it also says something about you, just to give you a, a compliment as well, that we've had Carson Palmer and Terrence Newman and Frank Gore pretty much immediately agreed to do this. I, I sent a, a text and he said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, so, it, you know, it says something that your former teammates want to come on and do you a favor, even if it's coming on our, <laughs> coming on our show here. Um, so I, I guess uh, before we before we wrap up, let's talk about Delvin for a sec, because Frank Gore and Delvin work out together in Florida and you know Delvin has been dealing with injuries here as he has through his entire career he stayed healthy most of this year but then he's got two shoulder problems at the moment i think it is the right way to do it even though a lot of players might try to grind through this to sit Delvin Cook out these next 2 weeks and let Alexander Madison potentially and especially Alex Boone um you know take control there not Alex Boone you're Alex Boone Mike, <laughs> Mike Boone. Boone Mike Boone your cousin yeah. Listen, my cousin, listen, I, I don't think you want, I think when you're talking about trying to protect one of your most valuable assets, yeah, listen, you might have to go in for sure this week without him if it's, it's half as bad as people think it is, and then maybe even next week, but you need him for the playoffs. I think that he is so vital to the success of this team going forward because he's going to be the one key piece when you're playing a stellar defense that they have to focus so hard on, that there's going to be other pieces around them like Rudy and Irv Smith and B.C. Johnson, guys that can step up, that can fill these other roles of, hey, listen, while everyone's focused on Thielen, Diggs, and Dalvin, the rest of you guys are going to feast. And that is going to make for a huge difference in the playoffs, especially on the road. Yeah, the only thing that keeps going through my mind is that they're not in. They're not officially in. Now, if the Rams lose on Saturday, I believe they play against San Francisco, then I would say... Hell yeah, keep him out. But the other part of it, too, is that he just hasn't been as effective, which you would expect if he is playing through a bunch of injuries that he wouldn't average five yards a carry. And to have him get you know, time off the feet a little bit to sit out and get the shoulders back to as healthy as they could possibly be, um, I think it would mean a lot to their chances in the playoffs because if they don't have him, you've mentioned this before, that any team that ends up stopping the Vikings' run game completely then has a huge advantage, and we saw that when they played Kansas City. For sure. And then when you talk about a team that can stop a team in the run game, you've made a team one-dimensional, and then you look at the defenses in the playoff. It's fine. We can include Alex's uh, kids here on the show. It's, it's insane over here, dude. <laughs> that's, the... <laughs> that, that's okay. We're, we're wrapping up anyway, so you can uh-huh. tend to that matter. Uh, well, Merry Christmas. Yeah, there you go. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Alex. I know we're going to talk tomorrow, but that was my Christmas present for you, Frank Gore.
Collier, I love you, dude. I really <laughs> do. I owe you big, and I'll get you something soon. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I will talk with you uh, on tomorrow's show, and we'll uh, we'll continue to break down and lead yes. you up to Vikings and Packers. How about that, Jonathan? How about the drama? I was sweating. I was like, the, I was like that GIF where that guy is just pouring sweat. I was like, that's me. Like, please, Frank, call. I was you so nervous. Three thirty. Like, let's please do this, and uh, that was great to have him talk about Delvin Cook and how he stuck around for a long time. Awesome to have Frank Gore on the show, and uh, also Alex's child. It's very young child. <laughs> like you said, it is a testament to... We get, we to, get Sage's dog barking in the background. <laughs> we get Alex, because he has to hook up from, from home to be able to do that, so yeah. that was fun. All right. It's a good show. Yeah. All right. Uh, we will turn it over to Mackie and Judd with Rami, who will not have Frank Gore. We had Frank Gore. <laughs> so listen to them, though, I guess. <laughs> See you guys tomorrow.